telemedicine, after-hours triage, clients seeking virtual care. How can you compete with Dr. Google and do a better job for our patients? This week, we've got an expert to talk about VCPR and telemedicine on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the most contentious topics of the past five years or so has been telemedicine, telehealth, teletriage, tele whatever. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about clients going online after hours or when you're not available and seeking medical advice and opinion and maybe even treatments from an online provider. Well, there's a lot of questions that we have around that. And this week, we've got an expert. But before we get to our expert on that, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm excited to have today's guest. He's actually a really good friend of mine. And not only is he a friend of mine, he's one of the leaders in the industry right now when it comes to this topic. And not only is he leading the industry, he's leading the voice and fighting to you know, preserve what we know as VCPR and make sure that tele whatever we're doing is done right. It's done the way that our patients need it and it's done to benefit the hospital. So we're psyched really to have him here and talk to him. Mr. John Dillon of Guardian Vets, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, John, I'd like to sort of start off by maybe explaining to our audience that's not familiar, what is Guardian Vets? I mean, who are you anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Just to give a little bit of context on, you know, myself and the company. Um, yeah, I started off as a pet owner that had adopted a pet for the first time and found myself with questions after hours. And when I reached out to my veterinary practice, I got a voicemail that said, sorry, we're closed. Leave a message or go to the emergency room, reach out to the emergency room. They said, well, if you think it's an emergency, come on in. And I said, well, I don't know. You know, pet doesn't talk and I'm not medically trained. And we went around and around in a loop. And I finally did come in, spent a lot of money, found out it wasn't an emergency and was very upset with my general practice the next day. And I said, you know, where were you? I needed you. And the owner of the practice came back to me and said, I understand you have issues at night and on the weekends. However, I have a family, I have a life, and it's unfair to expect me to be on call 24 seven. And I said, well, you know, this is it just kind of realized this is an issue and started researching, you know, the industry and what the limitations were on the sorts of advice that you can give remotely. And we came across the concept of triage care as opposed to what you were talking about with telemedicine. And um, after doing a lot of interviewing and talking to the veterinary industry, uh, we came to the realization that this was a way that we'd be able to help pet owners that had these questions after hours, but moreover also help the industry that was really needing work-life balance, needing um, to be able to provide continuity of care, and also needing to improve their bottom lines by being able to generate appointments after hours. So that's a little bit of background on how we got started. Um, you know, we opened up the company in 2017 and kind of been growing since then. So. I think it's, you know, important, number one, that your vet said, look, it's not fair to ask me to be on call 24-7 because that's right. that's not wrong, right? That's true. Um, but, you're, you know, you also had a right to, as a, especially I think as a new pet owner, and sometimes I think we forget this, 
new pet owners just expect veterinary medicine to work like human medicine. And they've had access to nursing lines and referral care and, and online literal telemedicine for so long now that I think they really do have an expectation that they will be able to reach their, their vet at pretty much any point. So I think it's important, though, you mentioned the the triage aspect when you were kind of researching your lines. So tell me a little bit about that. Like when we talk about triage, how is that different than that telemedicine sort of umbrella and where do you guys fit in there? Yeah. So generally telemedicine and uh, triage both fall under this umbrella of telehealth. And I know all these concepts can be pretty confusing, but telehealth is just broadly digital communication that's regarding the health of your pet. And then telemedicine specifically refers to treatment and diagnosis that's happening remotely. And that is okay if there is a VCPR present. And you know we're firm advocates of that VCPR having to be established first through a physical examination. And then if you've seen your, depends state by state how long that physical examination needs to have, have, have happened. It could be one year, it could be a little bit over one year, but Point is, as long as you have that VCPR, you put your hands on the pet, then we think telemedicine is great. I mean, a lot of practices already do it with their clients, and that's fine. Um, but if you don't have that VCPR present and you don't want to personally be available for your clients, that's where triage comes in. So we're not providing any treatment. There's no diagnosis. From our point of view, it's not if the pet needs to be seen, but rather how soon. And so we're just helping the pet owner make that determination as to is this broken toenail an emergency that needs to go to the ER right now, or can it wait to be seen the next day by your general practice, in which case we'll help you schedule an appointment for the next business day. Let me kind of give you listeners a context of why I believe we're here and why these tensions exist from patients or clients like John. Number one, in case you're wondering, VCPR stands for Veterinary Client Patient Relationship. And historically, until the past few years, there was never any doubt because we had to see the patient to actually do anything. We didn't have telemedicine. We didn't have smartphones with cameras. We didn't have access to online, you know. So, so the point here is, as a veterinarian, we were accessible. And then you couple that with emerging technologies that came along in the 80s called the pager. Now, I carried a pager personally for, you know, over 20 years. And to date, certain tones will trigger me. So I have definitely <laughs> have some stress over that. But what it used to look like before John got his first real adult pet was you would call your after hours vet number and you would reach them by a pager. And so I took those phone calls. Most of my colleagues took those phone calls, as John mentioned, about the broken toenail. So we were already doing a form of triage ourselves. Now, fast forward to the other factor that has led us to this point. We've had a generational shift in pet ownerships. Now, boomers and arguably most of the Gen Xers, which is my generation, we sort of got used to this, call your vet, you're going to page them out. Hopefully, you can get them on the phone. They'll tell you if you need to go to the emergency room or not. But suddenly, that starts changing as we see more millennials enter the workforce. And then suddenly, millennial pet owners are like, whoa, holy smokes, you mean I can't talk to my vet at 2 in the morning? My dog needs help. So those two things, I think, John, led us here today. But I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that there are companies that are probably starting to stray beyond the, the triage, which I think is very, very appropriate and helpful and useful, which is what you guys are doing. So tell us from your perspective, where are the problems that this industry or this sector, this type of service are running afoul right now? Well, I think, 
you know, the first, and, and just before I get to that, I think you, you brought up a really important point that is sometimes not um, understood or just kind of thought about too often, which is we have that generational shift with millennials that, yeah, we increasingly demand service. Well, we want service on demand. We want food when we want it. We want a taxi when we want it. We're kind of used to things coming immediately. And then you have this at the same time in the workforce, there's this huge emphasis on work-life balance. Right. And nobody wants to be on call 24-7 anymore. And I see it all the time between owners that are trying to pass their practice on and the associates that just absolutely don't want to do it. And there's that conflict. So, you know, that's where we are. And I think the reluctance to kind of address this head on is this led to these alternatives like Dr. Google. Um, so to that point of where things start to run afoul, you know, it is services um, that may provide sort of treatment, dietary modifications, diagnoses remotely, um, where we don't think that's appropriate or okay. Um, you know, and I think if it's not being done directly at the moment, there certainly is a swell of individuals within the industry that are trying to push the agenda and try to make you know regulatory changes and somehow say that this is going to be positive for the industry. And you know, from the regulators that I've talked to and uh, you know a lot of owners across the country, and we're servicing hundreds of hospitals across the country at this point. You know, where is that demand coming from, and who is if there is a regulatory change? Who would that benefit? Because I'm not quite so sure that it would benefit the pet owners, and I'm definitely not sure that it would benefit the industry. So we have to remember, why do these VCPR regulations exist? Why is it that we have to physically put our hands on the pets? And why is it that the practice of veterinary medicine is different than human health care? Okay, so John, there's a good opportunity. Why? Why are those answer those questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I'm going to do so in the most limited way possible as a non-veterinarian, but in layman layman terms, at least, you know, the, the pet doesn't talk. That's number one. So humans can interpret what's going on within their own bodies and articulate that. And it's much easier to stand in front of a camera or sit still and try to explain what's going on. Two, it's a different species. So you know, there's huge differences there, but moreover, the pet as an animal is biologically predisposed to show or to hide signs of pain. So it's very hard for someone that's not medically trained to be able to interpret what's going on. Uh, So I I, I just think it's a recipe for disaster um, without first having put your hands on the pet and, you know, getting comfortable with it before taking that leap into you know, virtual care. All right. So I think it's important to kind of to take this this moment and think about, okay, so you've explained why, you know, what VCPR currently stands as, right? You have to have your hands, eyes, a, a tactile examination of this pet, or, pet. And it's generally within the last year, right? Like mm-hmm. we, it has to have been within in a year. Um, what are the changes that are trying to be made? What are some other people pushing for? Just for folks who aren't really in the know about what this argument and back and forth is, I mean, because I think to a lot of veterinary professionals, it's like, well, right, what are the other options? But like, what are we fighting against really when we say it needs to maintain where it is? Great point. Well, I think one way to look at it would be who is fighting to change it. Is it really the public 
that's have any of you ever had a pet owner that comes out to you and says, you know, I really want to be able to do telemedicine with my pet. Is it really that clamor from the public right now? Or is it really, you know, operators out there trying to say that this is the next new thing and look what's going on with humans and it's definitely going to happen with pets. And we just make, take that assumption for granted, but taking a step back, what are the real issues? Is it access to care? Okay. Access to care. When is it daytime hours? Not really, because the practice is already open. So is it nighttime hours? Well, yeah, after hours is definitely an issue, and we feel like we help in our small way address that through triage. If the practice doesn't want to personally be available, if they do, then telemedicine is an appropriate solution. I also hear um, arguments about people in remote areas that are unable to access veterinarians, and the argument is that you know, by changing the regulation that you're going to increase the, let's say, level of coverage across the board. So mo more people will have access to care because there's a ton of people in remote areas that can't normally receive veterinary care or they're, let's say, financially disadvantaged and can't afford it. I'd say in those instances, you know, if there's a gap in coverage in remote areas, it would be incumbent on the industry to, let's say, give discounts for people that if you want to open a practice in a really remote area, that there should be some sort of federal program or, you know, program by the, the state body to help people open up practices in those areas so you can increase coverage. Um, and I think with regards to people that are financially disadvantaged, I'm a huge proponent of wellness plans, of insurance. You know, uh, we constantly connect people with angel funds and um you know, low cost providers where appropriate, where they can still seek medical care, again, physically at a practice when it's necessary. So I think that there, again, we just kind of have to start to look at what are the problems that are really being faced by the industry and are there alternative ways to solve it without necessarily having to throw the baby, the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. So, right. And that's, you know, I think that's really important. So, you know, we've talked about VCPR extensively here and it kind of so it kind of brings me back to what you guys are doing. It falls into the triage and we've talked a little bit about what that is. And and you may you said it really saliently. I feel like it's not a matter of if this pet when you are when you guys are receiving calls and in the space that you're working in and the space that you're advocating for when you guys receive a call from a pet owner, this isn't a matter of deciding if the pet needs to see a veterinarian it's deciding when do they need to get to an emergency room sooner than later do they need to see their veterinarian the next day do they need to be seen this week kind of thing um and i think that that is actually something that's really important because when you were talking about um financial difficulties and and some of the frustration that goes with that i think about myself being in the clinic talking on the phone to a client who i know doesn't have the financial ability to come into the clinic and I, i'm gonna listen to them say i can't afford to come in and, and i think that this does sort of contribute to the burnout and the frustration and and just some of that overall compassion fatigue that we see in the veterinary industry where i'm talking to someone on the other end of the phone that i know um, is not going to come to me. I'm not going to be able to help them no matter what I do. And the, and the only real solution that they're at that point looking for is 
for me to tell them how to fix it at home. What you guys are doing are, are, are working with veterinarians right now, not the general public. I just want to make sure I get that right so that you actually are dealing with individuals, their actual clients, right? Not just any random buddy who calls you and says, hey, what do I do with my pet? You're servicing the veterinary clinic by providing this service that says, my client needs some help knowing to be seen today or later. Yeah. You're talking to my clients. Yeah, that's a great point, too, is that we really try to put the practices first. And the goal goal here is to bond the client more closely to the practice, not more closely to us. So there's no 1-800 number to reach us directly. There, you have to go through your practice. Right. And the whole point there is, okay, if you have a question, your first impulse should be to reach out to your practice. Now, it's incumbent on the practice to be there when you need it. And I always make this analogy with human healthcare. It's, I could have the best human doctor you know, on the planet, or I feel like he's a great doctor, but if he's not available for me when I feel like I need it, what good is it? You know, so it's, it's a very emotional thing, too, with customer service, but you just, again, you have to be there for your clients when, when they need you. So when I first was approached and learned about what you were doing, I, I made a comment to a group of colleagues that said, oh, this is a pager service on steroids. And what I meant by that <laughs> was that basically you go through your vet clinic, so however you would contact your vet normally, but it switches over to Guardian Vets. And then you've got trained professionals, veterinarians, veterinary technicians, who are actually now going to say, okay, no, this is an emergency, go now, based on you know information, education, you know experience. No, you can wait till tomorrow morning. So Again, this is when when I was part of the ABMA, you know, committee on telemedicine, uh, I said multiple times, I said, this is the first step. We need to be encouraging this. And yet, John, your service kind of got lumped in with telemedicine. Now, where do you see these regulatory changes over the next five years or so? I mean, how is this going to evolve? Because you know the pushback that we received early on. They tried to lump you in with other services that was completely unfair and unfounded. Um, so where's this thing headed over the next several years? Um, to be honest, I don't think there's going to be that much change in the short term. And I think the most potentially compelling or interesting forward-thinking argument could be, okay, well, let, let me just answer in the short term. Um, you know, the AVMA, for example, just uh, amended their Model Practice Act, and it's reaffirmed the importance of the physical examination establishing a VCPR. Right. And there's that exemption for emergency triage, similar to poison control. Right. Um, so I think in that respect, you know, things are pretty much going to stay the way that they are, even though you may see, um, let's say, special interest groups that are pushing change. I don't necessarily think that the regulatory bodies that actually enforce the change will, from our discussions, are really considering that. And even in progressive states like Colorado, um, you know, where there have been some proposed changes, uh, from everything that I've heard, even there, it's up for debate, let's just say. Yep. And John, I completely agree. Like, I, I wish this train would move faster because I think that, you know, there are some good ways to do telemedicine. But having said that, I'm with you. This is years in the making. And this leads to the gap. This leaves us with a serious gap in service because, as we've mentioned before, we've got these generational conflicts. Influences, you know, people with different experiences and expectations. And this is why I think Guardian Vets becomes really important, right? Because yeah. we're now going to be a part of the solution while we kind of get the other stuff figured out. Is that fair? Yeah, and, and 
I, I do think it's fair. There are some really good pure play telemedicine platforms out there that do respect vCPR and some of them have been really you know exemplary about how they approach it and um, you know how they only try to encourage you to communicate with your doctor if that VC, vCPR is present so there is a there is a part for for everybody here and I'm certainly a proponent of telemedicine I'm just saying in the context of an existing vCPR and will it ever be established remotely maybe at some point in the future I mean it's not I don't want to say impossible. Um, there's certainly a lot of interesting activity going on with like wearables, for right, example, right. where you can capture a lot of remote data. Um, but it's that technology is really not quite there yet. So maybe way in the future, but for the short term, I think the best bet is to focus on, you know, triage. Triage what, what you're doing. What triage, and, and if you want to telemedicine, then absolutely just make sure that you know, we're respecting the VCPR. And then right. if, if you want to be available for your clients and do virtual visits, then by all means. Okay, ahead. so let's bring it back to what's happening right now, because obviously we spent a lot of time talking about what might happen in the future and some of the challenges around that and some of the confusion, quite frankly. But when you now, when your service is taking my client and they're on the phone, what are the big challenges that you face when it comes to just the, the veterinary teletriage aspect? So a lot, and I think, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and first thing is trying to determine the severity of what's going on and to be able to do so quickly because, you know, as you guys know, clients call and they start talking about a million different things and you really have to kind of focus on the symptoms that are being presented and, you know, make that determination because if it's an emergency, you really need to get them the appropriate care as soon as possible. So, you know, being able to make that determination as to whether it's emergent or not uh, in an efficient way um, is part of the issue. I think managing clients that call in extremely anxious and worried and providing that level of compassion and customer service is another element that we constantly have to balance. Um, making sure that everything is being documented properly and communicated to the on-call doctor if necessary or recorded appropriately if um, we're sending the client in for an appointment. So a lot of operational things that come into play once we, you know, basically take over after hours to make sure that everything's going smoothly, that the practice feels that we're, you know, upholding their, their high standards of client service and, and their brand ultimately. Well, all right. So speaking to that point, it gives me a perfect opportunity to kind of shout out the spine of this organization and the people that you guys um, count on to do that, to be compassionate, hmm, to be educated, be, to fulfill <laughs> the doctor's every wishes about when they want calls and if they want calls and where they want calls. And those meticulous individuals are primarily credentialed technicians working ah, for you. Is I that never right? I guess that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, um, we really have, you know, an exceptional team of, of credential technicians and veterinarians that work together on this, but um, definitely leaning more heavy towards um, an exceptional team of credential techs. And, you know, when we filter for our team, we have a really nice benefit of being able to pull from talent across the country uh, because people are able to work from home. Um, and so we create a lot of filters for being able to attract the right people, um, identify the right people, 
uh, filter, and then train. So once they get to the point where they're taking calls and working for us, um, that they hit the ground running. Yeah. And I, you know, I've sent you several of my own personal friends and contacts because they feel like number one, um, it's a good, it's a good opportunity for them financially. But it, you know, when I think about technicians, I just always hear them say, um, I can't wrestle dogs forever. What am I going to do for a career? And so, you know, obviously one, I think it's a good opportunity for them. I, I, I know kind of your structure and I think it's great. And then two, you know, it, it is another career path for technicians who are either just, you know, physically worn out or, you know, we have, um, you know, uh, technicians who can't necessarily be in the structured clinic right away. Maybe they're raising kids right now or they're taking care of parents or like whatever it is. There's a lot of flexibility here. And I'm always just such a proponent and advocate of this because technicians have to remember that their their job is not in a box and that there are opportunities out there like this where they can have some flexibility. And if they, if they find that patient and client education is actually an area that they really love, I think this is such a, a good area to end up in because you get to do some of that one-on-one -on -one client education that you're, you're otherwise rushed through um, where you can really say, here's why I'm concerned. This is why I think you should be seen sooner than later. Um, you really get a, an intimate contact with those clients and, and get to really know you're helping that pet. That pet's not going to be at home suffering because you were able to direct them to get in right away. Yep. So, um, you know, I appreciate just in general that you utilize credential technicians in that way. Yeah, our, I am continually more and more impressed by the team and the leadership that we have within it. Um, and I just think that from everything that I've heard about what goes on in brick and mortar practices, oftentimes they feel overworked and underappreciated. And the feedback that we're getting is that this is really empowering. You feel like you're making a difference. I mean, we listen to recordings all the time, obviously, for QA. And I mean, their clients sometimes are crying on the phone with, relief enjoy yeah. that you know that they either know that they have to go to the er and they know that this is the right move and they're on their way or that they can wait but they can sleep easy uh, so it's really rewarding um and then from a career perspective you know we're ultimately one day we'd really like to become this quote-unquote employer of choice where we're already making strides toward that in the sense that you know we're helping pay for continuing education we offer competitive pay you can work from home there's a lot of upwards mobility within the company. So if you start off, our operations director, for example, started off um, just taking triage calls. And, you know, she proved herself to be immensely capable and, you know, hardworking and great attitude. And we just kept on saying, you know, we need you more, we need you more. And all of a sudden the leadership, you know, kept on piling on, piling on, and she's leading the whole team now. Um, you know, from an operations point of view and doing a phenomenal job at it. So it's just to say that, you know, as the company grows, there's a lot of potential to grow with it and to, to kind of take your career in, in directions that maybe you might not have thought about um, in a traditional setting. So it's, it's, it's exciting in that sense, too. And viewfinders, you know, this is a win-win-win proposition. Becky knows we have this conversation for, for years and years, but it goes like this. First and foremost, I believe that 
services like this elevate the registered credentialed veterinary technicians as a profession because it it illuminates them to the public in a way that they say, wow, we're experts. You know, you guys are amazing. So I love that fact. Number two, I believe it brings greater value to the actual interaction with the veterinarian. A lot of veterinarians out there are listening going, oh, no, this sounds like a threat to my profession. I completely disagree. My take is this. It says, you know what? When you do go see your veterinarian in the clinic, it is of higher value. Sorry, Becky, but I think you know where I'm headed with that because no, right. there has to be a little bit of a hierarchy of that. And then the third thing that I think is is often, you know, sort of lost in this conversation is it's a win for the pets, for the pet parents out there, because there's now this continual care. So you've got coverage at your vet clinic when you use services like this 24 seven, you've got high standards of care. So you can trust the person on the other end of the line. It's a registered veterinary technician most of the time. And they're actually saying, Hey, let's talk about this situation. Is it an immediate emergency or can it wait till the morning? And I think all of those things add up to saying, Hey, John, we need to take services like yours at Guardian Vets very, very seriously. Yeah. I, I, and I also think if you're out there and you work in an emergency clinic or you're a veterinarian in an emergency clinic, you should be encouraging your veterinary hospitals that refer to you after hours to be utilizing services like this. Cause when John came to me, gosh, I guess three or three or four years ago, we met and um, started talking about what he was doing. And I said, I, w- I was literally thinking about a time that I have been in the emergency clinic doing CPR. And of course, customer service up front can't see you. So they radio to the back. Can anybody pick up line one? There's a question right. about fleas, right? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, while I'm actually performing CPR and I'm like, you know, you're thinking to yourself, of course, I can't answer a question about fleas right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm busy trying to save this life in front of me. But that was the first thing that came to my mind. So, um, you know, it was a matter of just basically everyone needs to be aware that these services are out there for preservation of themselves individually, whatever, if they're in GP or if they're in emergency, you can make sure these patients are getting to you without having your staff constantly answering the phone and fielding it um, because you have experts and you have, you know, well-utilized, um, really smart people out there listening to the concern and making sure they end up in the right place. Yeah. And and just real quick on that point, I I just want to thank you for bringing up the point with ERs too, because we do work with a number of ERs and most often the concerns that we get from them are what you just illustrated. You know, their front of house is overwhelmed with non-emergent calls and that detracts from their ability to focus on the emergent issues. So, you know, in that capacity, we can help with overflow. Um, And to Dr. Ward, your point on, you know, being a competitor threat or a help to the practice and to the industry, we really try to be a a help and a partner in the sense that, again, it's not if the pet needs to be seen, but how soon. So if you're providing that continuity of care and it's not an emergent issue, we're gonna direct the client back to you and you can keep that business in house. But if it is an emergency, we're sending it right to the emergency room or to you if you're on call and the client is getting the care that they need but it's been through your practice so that relationship's been strengthened between your client and your practice. So everything's really customized for the practices that we serve. Um, You know, somebody in Kansas is gonna be very different than Manhattan and how they want their clients treated. And so we've kind of developed our technology uh, to be flexible in that sense. 
So I love that. And I love that about you guys. But in general, I mean, I know a lot of veterinary practices out there that are utilizing after hours answering services, just really general answering services, right? Just like your everyday folks who answer the phone and just forward accordingly. And there really is no triage factor involved. And a lot of our listeners might be out there right now thinking like, I really love the idea of somebody with some knowledge answering my phone. So um to be clear, I guess, you know, one is, this, like you said, this can be um, some overflow. I know you work with some veterinarians who are maybe individual practitioners or, or mobile veterinarians who don't have anybody to answer their phone. So when they're working with a client directly in the moment, their phone is still actually getting answered and they're not getting a phone call that says, you know, hey, I have this emergency and they're getting the voicemail an hour later. Um, so I think that's important. But, but when when we're out there looking for these different kind of companies and we have these different scenarios, what are the key things we need to consider um, when when you are looking at telehealth, so when, when practitioners out there are hearing this and saying, okay, I need to make a change. I need educated folks answering my phone, triaging my clients and making sure they get taken care of and I don't have to answer that phone. What should they be looking for if, if they you know, are trying to pick? Yeah, so I think the first starting point is to think about what is it that my clients really want and what is it that they need, right? And just I from any business is it's really just asking you, you have to know your clients, right? We have to know our practices and practices have to know the pet owners. Um, so just ask them, you know, what can we do to serve you better? And if they're coming back and saying something like, well, we'd really like it if you were there for us after hours, then, you know, a good starting point would be to think about, do I want to personally be available myself? And you can do that through a variety of different ways. Telemedicine is one of them or do I want a service like an after hour triage service um, that can help you know, supplement our staff and still provide that continuity of care to the clients? Um, but beyond that, you know, what is the bottom line impact gonna be on my practice? And what are the fees that the service is gonna charge? And what are the ways that they offer to monetize on the back end? so that the hospital can make an ROI. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're in this profession because we obviously love pets, but we also have to you know, keep the lights on. So how is the service able to monetize what they're doing and drive ROI back to the practice? Um, how does the service project itself and who are they currently working with? Do they have references that they can provide? Um, how are they striving to protect your data? If there's any sort of integrations that are provided? Um, what is their level of customer support? If something goes down, for example, a technology doesn't work, there's constantly glitches. You know, are they going to be there for you when they need it? And do they honor that in writing? Do they actually have service level agreements? Or do they say, we'll get back to you when we can get back to you? Um, you know, and towards that point on technology, is their technology proprietary? Do they have in-house teams that can respond to glitches when they're identified? Or is this something more out of the box where it may have to take a while before you can get a response? Um, and then lastly, I think it's really important to think about, you know, how does the service integrate into your existing workflows? Um, if you are going to be offering either telemedicine or triage, you know, think about, does that change my needs for staffing? How do we schedule these things? If we're scheduling new appointments to come in the next day, how are we gonna fit them in? Um, if I wanna be available virtually for my clients, how does that fit into my existing uh, appointment scheduling system? 
right? So all these things, that, and that's just one of how do we monetize this and how do we link it back to the bank and how do we staff it? Um, how do we monitor and QA? Is everything documented? Is everything recorded? Uh, what sort of liability does my practice face? So all sorts of things that you really need to dive into to understand not only the platform and service that you're going to be working with, but how that's going to reflect by you as a practice to your clients. Wow. Well, John, you have certainly given us and our listeners a lot to think about. This has been an invaluable conversation. If you are on the fence about where you sit on telemedicine, telehealth, teletriage, I would encourage you to definitely go and educate yourself. So, John, where can they go to find out more if they want to see what you're doing and if it maybe works for their clinic? I think the best way would be to visit our website, uh, guardianvets.com. And uh, we have a widget in there that we're available for any questions that you may have or just drop us an email. And I'll give you my email, which is john at guardianvets.com. Great. Well, listen, this is a really important conversation. So if you're a manager, an owner, an associate veterinarian or a veterinary technician out there, please share this conversation with other people, maybe even your boss or your manager, because we need to make sure that we are providing that continuum of care, that the standards are just what we want them to be, and that it's sort of tailored and personalized to our own practice personality. And so I think that, you know, services like Guardian Vets certainly are going to be leading the way as we move forward. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now hit us up on social media. Tell us what you think about John Dillon and Guardian Vets. Is teletriage the future, or at least for the next several years, as John believes it is, and I agree with him 100%. What do you think the future of telemedicine looks like for our profession? And most importantly, how does this impact the pets that we love? We want to hear from you. That's right. Leave us a comment or, um, you know, let us know what you're doing on our Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, or you can find us on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder. You can download us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you get a chance, go over to Apple iTunes, leave us some stars and a review. It really helps get the word out about our podcast and push us up the top of the list. So all the veterinary professionals that you know and love can get more information and get more education. We really appreciate it. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.